0: This is Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan.
1: All right, sorry about that, everybody. Some technical difficulties, but we are back on Hockey Central 960. We are going to try to get through this now together. Thanks for sticking with us. I think we've had Derek Wills on the line the whole time. A dedicated guest, so we're not even going to make him wait any longer. Let's just get right to Derek. On the Atlas Pizza guest hotline, Derek, the Calgary Flames lose 4-1 to the Colorado Avalanche last night. It was a measuring stick game that probably told us something we, we should probably already know at this point in time that the Flames are in the middle of the pack. They're not in the class of the Colorado Avalanche. I know we heard that from Daryl Sutter. And Sometimes a loss is just a loss. But but where do you fall on this, Derek? Was this, was this a night where it was like, yeah, I feel like this is kind of the reality check that we maybe should have already gotten to?
0: Not for me, Haley. It really wasn't because for me, in order for it to be a measuring stick game, uh, both teams would have to be at their best. And I think it's fair to say the Flames were far from being at their best, especially in the first period last night. And that's really when they lost the game. They gave up three goals and they were chasing the hockey game the whole night after that. And I thought they were better in the second and third periods, but still not good enough. And... It's disappointing because the Flames had been playing some pretty good hockey. You think back to that last five-game road trip through the Central Division, where they had six of a possible eight points following the first four games and could have turned what was a pretty good road trip into a really good road trip. But uh, they weren't ready to play on Monday against the Predators in Nashville either. And that's what was disappointing for me is that after playing, I think, As complete a game as they've played all season in the second of those two games against the Blues in St. Louis, and then playing two really good periods to start that game against the Stars in Dallas. You know, they had a a 6 1 lead late in the second, took their foot off the gas. It's 6 2 following 40, and then before you know it, it's 6 5, and, and you're hanging on for dear life in the dying minutes of that hockey game. And what we saw in the third period in that game is kind of what we saw in the first period of last night's game. So, you know, for me, When the Flames are at their best, which they're going to have to be more consistently in the second half of the season than they've been to this point, they can not only compete with anybody, they can beat anybody in this league, but they were not at their best. We heard it from coaches, we heard it from players, and uh, last night was disappointing. That's not how you want to start a four-game homestand.
1: And Especially not a four-game homestand that includes games against the Colorado Avalanche and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Who are coming to town? You know, that's what the last three Stanley Cup winners coming to the Saddle Dome against a team who had these, at least external expectations of, of taking another step in the right direction this season. Uh, maybe maybe Daryl's comments yesterday is another one of those examples of him, you know, kind of using the message to the media post game, like trying to light a fire under the team. Because he said, you know, that game gave us a pretty good idea of where this team is at. They're middle of the pack, not in the abs class. Maybe it's a bit of a motivating thing for Daryl Sutter saying, yeah, we've got the, you know, we just lost the reigning cup winners. We've got the last two coming to town. We've got to be better than this.
0: Yeah, I think that's exactly what it was, Haley. Uh, him trying to light a fire under his team's butt to go into games two, three, and four of the homestand. And, you know, on paper, things do get a little easier in the back half of the homestand, although, you know, it's going to be a circus with Johnny Gaudreau and the Columbus Blue Jackets coming to town. But you've got a Tampa Bay Lightning team coming in that uh, kicked the Vancouver Canucks butts last night. And I would say, because they're healthier, uh, they're a better team than the Colorado Avalanche are right now. You know, the, the Avs were without three of their top four defensemen in last night's game, and six regulars, including their captain, Gabriel Landeskog, who still hasn't played a game this season. Listen, I think the avalanche when they're healthy are as dangerous as any team in this league, but they haven't been healthy. And that's why based on points, they're still on the outside looking in uh, on the Western conference playoff picture. And thanks to their win last night, based on points percentage, they're now in and the flames are now out. So yeah, the lightning are a mm-hmm. really good team. Uh, they're going to be riding a high after Steven Stamko scored his 500th career goal last night. And Flames better be ready to go, and Haley, to be honest, I I can't decide if two days between games is a good thing or a bad thing for the Flames. Part of me thinks they need to sit on this loss and let it fester a little bit, but another part of me thinks that, you know, the players probably would have preferred to be right back on the ice tonight with a chance to to bounce back after a poor performance at home last night, so uh, I guess we'll see how they look on Saturday afternoon for that matinee matchup.
1: Yeah, it's a good point. And I mean, it's because it seems like whether it's Sutter, whether it was Elias Lindholm, you know, that nobody was happy with this. And I mean, we heard it from Nikita Zadorov on Monday as well, you know, calling their first period, their first two periods, uh, you know, a pathetic performance. And last night, Elias Lindholm, you know, said, we've played 46 games now and we are still looking for a really good game from our group. And and he called that concerning. I I think one of the interesting things when we look at this team this season and and pat steinberg has made this point on on my show his show probably in the pre and post games with with you and lou they're not too far off their pace from last season at the 46 game mark but i think the difference is is last year the flames had it in them to put together a 10 1-0 record in the month of february which pushed them Mm -hmm. from the wild card race to the top of the pacific Does this Flames team look like a team that is capable of turning around, you know, the the sound bites and, and, you know, saying we need to be better? Can they actually be better and put together that kind of run to put themselves up into the Pacific and and up to the top of the division?
0: Well, it's tough to win 10 games in a row in this league. It really is. There's so much parity. You could argue there's more parity now than there's been in a long, long time, although there are some teams that are, Clearly tanking, trying to get the most ping pong balls so they can draft Connor Bedard first overall next summer. But really, I think things have started to slip a little bit as far as comparing this year's team to last year's team, because you're right, Haley. For quite some time, uh, the 2022 2023 Flames were only three or four points off the pace set by the 2021 2022 Flames that won the Pacific Division and won it going away by the end of the regular season. And, and won a playoff series so that team really did start to pull away between games at 40 and 49 and you talked about the 10 game winning streak they won all of those games all 10 of those games from games 40 to 49 last season and if i'm not mistaken i haven't done the math today but i believe the flames are now nine points off the pace set by last year's team so uh they were close for a while but uh the way they ended the road trip and the way they started the homestand uh has uh, taken four points off of their totals so uh like i said they've slipped a little bit but i still think this team has a lot of potential and could be better in the playoffs than last year's team was and really for me it's all about their depth down the middle coming out of that series against the orders last spring haley i thought to myself the, the flames have to find a way to deal with connor mcdavid leon dry and I think one of the most underrated players in the league and Ryan Nugent Hopkins who is in the shadow of McDavid and dry saddle, but Nugent Hopkins is having a really good year and is a really good player. And, you know, it's, it's tough to deal with those three guys. Even if only two of them are playing center, you've still got to have at least two lines that can check them. And if not stop them, then at least slow them down. And the flames didn't have that last season, but I believe that they might have it this season. And I say might, because when I look at the team on paper, and I see Elias Lindholm, Nazem Kadri, and Michael Backlund, I don't think there's another team in the league that has three 200-foot centermen like the Flames do. So I think they're they're built to better deal with McDavid and Drysaddle and the Oilers and potentially other teams that have those elite generational players this season than they were last season. But you know, to Elias Lindholm's point, you know we're more than halfway through the season. And we haven't consistently seen the Flames play to that level. We've seen glimpses of it here and there, but they're going to have to be more consistent moving forward. And uh, they might be in a fight for the whole season, Haley. And it was nice for them to be able to take their foot off the gas late last season. But ultimately, in the end, was that a good thing? Because they had to go to seven games against the Stars, and then they were out in five games against the Orders. This team will be more battle-tested this season, so I guess we'll have to wait and see if that's a a good thing or a bad thing when all is said and done. But in in order to get into the dance, (laughs) they're going to have to start playing more consistent hockey. There's no doubt about
1: it. Yeah, there's always a glass-half-full perspective, and and this one is that maybe they will be more battle-tested. Maybe they will actually be better prepared for the way that the game kind of changes and gets harder in the postseason, glass-half-empty, they just got to get there first. Uh you pulled a, some pretty good stats, Derek, on the run support that the Flames goalies are getting this season. Jacob Markstrom is getting, you know, about a goal less than Dan Vladar, maybe a, you know a little bit off yeah. from that, but but you've kind of yeah, you've you've tracked those numbers. I mean, what do you make of this? I mean, it's clear. I mean, everyone kind of looks at well, Dan Vladar is winning more games, and Jacob Markstrom looks off, and and those things might be true, but it's not quite as black and white because Dan Vladar is getting more goals in front of him.
0: Yeah, it really is hard to quantify, and all season long, Haley, we've been talking about how it feels like Dan Vladar is getting to steal a baseball term more run support than Jacob Markstrom, so. Uh, last weekend, I, I decided to finally dig into it a little bit. And in Jacob Markstrom's decisions, he's getting 0.75 goals less run support than Dan Vladar is in his decisions. Now, bigger sample size with Markstrom than Vladar, And me throwing those stats on, out there aren't a knock on Dan Vladar. I think he's taken a big step forward this mm-hmm. season. I think he's become one of the best number two goaltenders in the NHL. And I think he's earned an opportunity to play more. But Jacob Markstrom has been taking an absolute beating from a lot of Flames fans. And this market has always been tough on goaltenders. And Mika Kipersov probably ruined it for everybody. He played at such a high level for such a long time. You know, the (laughs) Flames... For, we're waiting to, to find the next Mika kippersoff and I've got news. Uh, there is no next Mika Kippersov, but Jacob Markstrom, in my opinion, is the best goaltender that they've had since him and obviously played at a really high level last season when he finished second in Vesna Trophy voting. He hasn't been at that level this season, Haley, but I do think that his game has slowly been coming around. Earlier this season, what really was his Achilles heel was that He would either give up a goal early, and he's given up a goal on the first shot too many times this season, or he'd give up a bad goal at a bad time. For the most part, I would say that he's eliminated those two mistakes, but he is getting less run support. The stats are the stats. Those are facts. That's not an opinion. So uh, it's really hard to... To answer the question why i know some people think that the flames are a more confident team in front of dan Vladar than they are in front of jacob markstrom i've talked to coaches i've talked to players i don't think that's the case at all so maybe it's dan Vladar getting easier matchups than jacob markstrom when you look at their body of work from this season it really is hard to, to explain why that has been the case but you know the fact is that has been the case um Would you like one more save from Jacob last night? Sure. But he was right, if not at the bottom of the list, then near the bottom of the list as far as the reasons why the Flames lost that hockey game to the Avalanche. So, you know, it's easy to point the finger at one person, but ultimately, whether it's Markstrom or Vladar, the the 12 forwards and six defensemen in front of those two goaltenders have to play at a high level more consistently moving forward. If they do that, I think uh, things will figure themselves out between the pipes because – I still like the Flames' one-two punch with Markstrom and Bladar, and uh, I'm confident in those two guys moving forward if if the guys play the right way.
1: I think we can acknowledge that the goaltending, at least when it comes to some of Markstrom's starts, leaves something to de- be desired throughout this season. Like There's just been games where it hasn't been good enough, but I also think we need to keep in mind, and we heard this from Daryl Sutter A lot last year, Derek, when Markstrom was piling up all those shutouts. And and what we heard all the time was, you know, that's a team stat. And the team was very, very good in front of Jacob Markstrom in terms of limiting the amount of shots against, and limiting the quality, and pushing guys to the perimeter. Have you noticed the team not being as defensively structured and sound in front of Markstrom or of Ladar this season? Is that a consideration that we need to have more when we're talking about the goaltending performance?
2: Yeah,
0: I guess the one thing, and this would apply to Jacob Markstrom earlier in the season as opposed to, to recently, but when you give up a goal on the first shot or you give up a goal really early in a game and you're chasing, sometimes you can get away from your defensive structure because uh, all of a sudden you're behind in the hockey game and you feel like you've got to get that goal back or get those goals back. But, Jacob hasn't given up those early goals as often as late, so I don't think it necessarily applies to the last month or two. Uh, As far as Dan Vladar is concerned, I mean, you think about his last start. So the team takes a 6-1 lead late into the second period against the Stars in Dallas last Saturday, uh, give up a goal in the final minute, and let the Stars up off the mat and back into the hockey game, and then they score three more. But the Flames hold on to win 6-5. So Dan Vladar gets the win despite giving up five goals. In Jacob Markstrom's last two starts, how many goals have the Flames scored? Two. They've scored two goals in two games. That's not good enough. You can't win in this league scoring one goal a game. The the Flames' magic number is three. When they get to three, they've got a great record. And I believe that this team was built to be a 3-2 type of team, Ailey. They don't have generational Mm -hmm. players they've got a lot of really good players and i think they have more depth than most teams in the league do and they're built to be a team that rolls four lines and rolls three pairings and uses two goaltenders and and that's how they're going to win hockey games and i I do think that depth and that balance will benefit them should they get to the stanley cup playoffs but you know for me they have to tighten up defensively in front of both goaltenders and they have to try to be a 2-1 3-2 type of team and occasionally I think they have the talent to win uh, a 4-3 or a 5-4 game but that's not the type of team that they're built to be so yeah the goaltenders have to be better but uh, I think it's as much if not more on the forwards and defensemen in front of them to to play the system, to stick to the system even when you're behind the 8 ball in a game and they just haven't done that often enough this season which is surprising Haley because this is a veteran hockey team And Daryl Sutter talked about uh, the Avalanche having 13 players uh, in last night's game that won the Stanley cup last season. Well, it's not like the flames don't have that type of experience. They don't have 13 guys because they didn't win the Stanley cup last season, but they've got a bunch of guys with Stanley cup rings. This is an experienced team that should know how to handle these types of situations. And they've done it well at times, but they maybe haven't done it so well, or uh, haven't done it well enough at other times. So You win as a team, you lose as a team. Uh, Last night's game was uh, a tough one to watch, especially in the opening period. And if the Flames played the same way in the the first period as they did in the second or third periods, they wouldn't have been behind by three goals. And even though they weren't great in the final 40 minutes last night, they were a heck of a lot better than they were in the first 20. So they better be ready to go against the Lightning on Saturday, Haley. And the, the crazy thing is, going into last night's game, Flames have been one of the best first-period teams in the league this season. They were tied for the league lead with 49 first-period goals, but they were not ready to start last night. They were not ready to start on Monday night, and that trend has to end.
1: Absolutely. I just a couple more minutes left here with you, Derek, and we're talking to Derek Wills. He voiced the Flames. You heard him last night on the call between the Flames and Avs here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Uh, a lot of conversation about Jacob Peltier in the market right now he's been called up for the last couple of weeks has not played in a game is being in the nhl and being a sponge good enough derek or would you like to see jacob peltier get into the lineup before he's sent back to the wranglers
0: well i think it's an important part of the experience Haley. for jacob to be on that last five game road trip through the central division and uh, you know watch veteran players who have won stanley cups uh go about their business uh, day in day out uh, see how they handle things when they're at the rink and we're not, when they're not at the rink. I think that's an important part uh, of the learning process for a young player like Jacob Peltier. Would I like to see him play? Yeah, I would. I think he's earned an opportunity to, to be with the big club, and I think he's earned an opportunity to get a look with the Flames. And I really thought that the best place to give him his NHL debut was in Chicago in game one of that five-game road trip against the last overall Blackhawks it uh, didn't happen in that game or any of the five games on that road trip but uh, didn't happen last night uh, against the defending Stanley Cup champion Avalanche and uh, i would be surprised if it happened on Saturday afternoon against the team that won uh, the previous two Stanley Cups in the Lightning but on paper the back half of the homestand looks like a spot where you could potentially get Jacob Peltier into a game what i bet my house on that happening Based on what Daryl Sutter has said this week, no. But if the Flames don't respond the right way, assuming he doesn't get in against the Lightning, and that's an assumption at this point, but assuming he doesn't, if the Flames don't play up somewhere close to a full 60 minutes on Saturday afternoon, then I think it's time to, to try something else. And listening to the Jeff Merrick show yesterday, uh, Jeff had a great conversation with Elliot Friedman about how teams used to send a message to their players. In the past, when the salary cap wasn't as big an issue it is as it is today, especially with it being a flat cap uh, since the pandemic, teams would make a trade to shake things up, right? Mm-hmm. Now it's almost impossible to do that because good teams uh, tend not to have a lot of cap space to work with. And, and making a trade has become harder now than it probably ever has been. So now teams are, are trying different things, whether it be you know, putting somebody on waivers and, and sending somebody down to the AHL or healthy scratching a veteran player. We saw it with Milan show uh, with the Flames. Uh, apparently, we're going to see it with Matt Dumba with the Wild tonight. So this is how teams are now trying to, to light a fire under their players. So if the Flames don't respond the right way in Saturday's game against the Lightning, then if I was the head coach, and God knows I'm not, then I would find a way to get to either Jacob Pauci or another young player into the lineup just to try to spark the team by bringing in some energy. And – I know Matthew Phillips uh, got a couple of games, but you know he's another guy who Flames fans have been clamoring to see more of. And, geez, when you watch him score the, the game-winning goal seven seconds in overtime against the Abbotsford Canucks last night, I understand why. But here's the difference between Phillips and Peltier, in my opinion. They're both undersized players, but Matthew's really undersized. Like, by far the smallest player in the yes. NHL when he's in the league. Jacob's not that.
1: Smallest undersized. I've ever seen yet. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so he's still going to fill out. He's going to get bigger and he's going to get stronger. But uh, I do think that uh, you know, he physically is probably more ready for the NHL just because you know, he's got a little bit bigger body. So I'd love to see him come in. And I think the easiest way to do it, Haley, is to take another young player out who I think has really fallen off, and that's Adam Urzitska. And I understand that his role has really changed. He's gone from being a healthy scratch in 10 of the first 11 games to playing on the Flames' first line and putting up really good numbers to now being either the left winger or the center on their fourth line. So and his role has really changed, but regardless of what your role is, you have to, to find a way to contribute. If that's not with goals and points, then you have to do something else, and I'm just not seeing enough of that right now with Adam. So I think hitting the reset button with him might be a good thing for him. And it would also open the door potentially for Pauci to get in the lineup. So I don't think they're going to do it Saturday, but I wouldn't be surprised if they did it in the back half of the home stands If, if things don't go well against the lightning. You
1: know what? And, and I'm, I don't think we need to wait and see what happens on Saturday afternoon for there to be a shake-up. I, I just, I don't know what message it sends to the other players who've been in the lineup or the ones in the press box or whatever it may be, um, you know, that the the team can put up the pathetic, as said by Nikita Zadorov the other day, first half of the game against Nashville, and then put up, you know, a 4-1 loss to an avalanche team without you know, the former MVP in, in Kale McCarr, and there yeah. not be any changes. I'm not sure what else we need to see after these last few games for there to be, you know, even the smallest of shakeups, which is putting Jacob Peltier on the fourth line.
0: Yeah, I, but I, I guess we'll see. I don't disagree, <laughs> Haley. I, I just, I'm taking my cues from what Daryl Sutter has said, and maybe he'll shock us, and Peltier oh, will course. be in the lineup on Saturday. <laughs> but I would be surprised if that was the case. I really would be, based on what, the Flames head coach has, has had to say ab- about Jacob Peltier specifically, but in about young players in general, especially young players who don't have great size. Like, we're not talking about Walker Dewar here. You know, he's been a nice fit on the fourth mm-hmm. line, and uh, he's been fun to watch. But he's, what, 6'2", 220? He's got good size to go with uh, yeah. his uh, ability to skate and, and some skill as well. So we'll have to wait and see what he does. The one thing I would say is... How much of a message does it really send to the team to take out a fourth line forward or a third pairing defenseman? It was a rough night for Michael Stone. I think you'd agree. He took a couple of penalties last night. And I think ultimately the flames would like to add a top six or a top nine winger, uh, ideally a right shot. And they'd probably like to add a, a number six defenseman, probably a right shot. So We'll have to see. I I don't know if if scratching a fourth-line player or a third-pairing defenseman sends a a big message to the team. Um, So I'm not sure that's the answer either. But are you taking anybody else out? Uh, Based on the body of work we have uh, so far, I would say probably not. But it wouldn't be the first time Sutter surprised us. So I I guess I wouldn't be shocked if there was a lineup (laughs) change or two on Saturday.
1: Expect the unexpected. Never think that you know anything. That's how I operate. Thanks a lot for the time, Derek.
0: (laughs) Okay, have a good day.
1: There goes Derek Wills. He's your voice, the Flames, here on Sports at 960. The Fan, your home of the Flames in that conversation uh, it was on the Atlas Pizza Guest Hotline. The Guest Hotline is brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar using the same recipe since 1975. You can dine in at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Take or delivery at 403-248-3344. Uh, went a little long there because we had some technical difficulties off the top. We're going to go to a quick break and come back and take a spin around the league with ESPN's Kristen Shilton. That's coming up next on Hockey Central 960.
0: You're listening to Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your home of the flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan.
1: Welcome back to the program. Final segment here, end of the hour on Hockey Central on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. We're going to go right back to the Atlas Pizza guest hotline, take a spin around the league with Kristen Shilton. She is a senior writer at ESPN. Lots of stuff happening last night, bunch of games on tonight. Kristen, how, how are you doing? Where, where should we go first here in our little tour? <laughs> I'm thinking Pittsburgh, Ottawa. Yeah,
2: well, I'm well, Haley. I hope you are as well. That was a crazy game last night between the Penguins and the Senators. And there was some drama beforehand with DJ Smith's decision that he wasn't going to play Matthew Joseph when he Joseph, obviously, in town. And so there was a lot of controversy around that choice of course, uh, you know, those brothers would have had uh, a lot of family and friends planning to attend the game. And the fact that Matthew uh, was a healthy scratch and no real explanation from Smith on that one, uh, at least initially, that was an interesting precursor into a game that was uh, pretty, uh, pretty crazy as well. So I, I just thought it was a you know, it, it was a great showcase by Ottawa, but then at the same time, highlighted some of the struggles that Pittsburgh's had this season with their consistency. You just watch the way the Penguins have been so good, and then they've gone through so, uh, you know, these stretches where they've just been uh, really off their game. So, an interesting microcosm of both seasons there. I think Ottawa's had its moments, and uh, last night was definitely one of them, and then Pittsburgh's just, uh, you know, inexplicably. Kind of stumbling their way through this season. So uh, you saw the comebacks and the, you know, just uh, so much drama. Uh, I think everybody got their money's worth in that building last night.
1: I think one of the highlights that stood out to me, and Sportsnet tweeted it out as well, was Tim Stutzla, you know, cutting inside and, you know, making Sidney Crosby look like he needed to step up defensively for the goal in the first period. And I feel like. There, I don't think there's a conversation. Like, it's not even a discussion or a debate that Tim Stutzla is the best player to come out of that 2020 draft year. Like, it's just maybe other guys will get there eventually. And you know, maybe Quentin Byfield can develop. Lexi Lafreniere, maybe he'll get better if things get better with that situation in New York. But man, Tim Stutzla just looks like he's kind of the the prize of that draft class.
2: Yeah, absolutely he does. And and Stutzla's, you know, credit to him, he really I think has taken uh, a big step from where he was last year. And that's often hard for young players. You know, they they really, especially you know, guys who are given a lot of forward responsibility early on, and, and there's high expectations. And uh, I think Stutzle has really kind of leaned into that, and he's matured a lot, not just off the ice but on the ice. And I had a chance to speak with him before the season started. And uh, what we chatted about really had a lot to do with just him really, you know, you want to build your body up. You want to get stronger in the offseason. He focused on that and, and just trying to mature his body to a point where, you know, he could sort of withstand the, the pace and the energy and everything that goes into um, playing on, uh, you know, an NHL sheet every night. And you can really see that. You can see that he's more confident. He's, he's a lot more poised when he has the puck. Uh, and you mentioned some other great names that came out of the same draft class, and every player is going to, uh, you know, develop at their own rate. But right now it does seem like Stutzla is kind of pacing the group. And, you know, to be fair as well, the Senators have given him a terrific opportunity and uh, really, I think, um, put a lot into his development, gave him a very clear plan of where to go. And uh, not to say, as you, um, you know, as you mentioned, those other players won't get to That same point as Stutzla has, but he got a lot of responsibility early, and, and I think he really took that to heart, and he's run with it now.
1: definitely I think a big part of the conversation when we look at even you know the Calder conversation Matty Beniers and what he's doing in Seattle this season you know if he got drafted to uh, you know a team that didn't have a spot open on the center of the ice maybe we're having a different conversation maybe he's not getting the same opportunity and I mean we talk about this a lot in Calgary with Jacob Peltier and all their young prospects who you know there's just not a spot for them apparently in the lineup but uh we already talked about the day, that today, so I'll digress. I want to talk about Steven Stamkos with you, Kristen. He joins the exclusive five hundred goal club last night as the Lightning beat the Canucks five to two. He ultimately got up to goal number five hundred two with a hat trick in that game. I mean, he's hit five hundred goals. Goals in 1,000 points before hitting the 1,000 game mark. Uh, one of only 18 players to do so. When when you hear Steven Stamkos and all that he's accomplished, you know what do you think of when when you look at him and in his body of work?
2: Yeah, you know I I don't want to say Steven Stamkos is underrated, but I think maybe he's under talked about at this point, especially in his career. I mean, you look at the numbers that he put up last year, best that he's ever you know, been able to produce and he's in his thirties and you're seeing the way that he's still driving this Tampa team that you're, you're not going to count out from a potential Stanley cup run this year because you can't. Uh, and, and when I think of Sam Kose, I think there is just, it, it's just that, you know, he's he played in Tampa and it, it's not some big original six market other than the sort of all the hubble blue. And he came up to Toronto as a potential free agent by me. Uh, it, it really just, he's been more under the radar where it just he just kind of goes about his business. He's been a great player year over year over year. He had some injury issues that did obviously rob him of time pretty significantly. And you wondered how he was going to bounce back from that. But, I mean, he's really, he's done it all. I mean, hes he's been... Um, you know, he's a two-time Rocket Richard Trophy winner. The only thing you could really say against him is that I guess he's never won one of the individual awards. He's never been a Hart Trophy winner. He's never won the Ted Lindsey. But, I mean, those kinds of accolades, I mean, really at the end of a career, what do they mean when you have two and potentially more Stanley Cups to your name? So, when I think of Stamkos, I think of a great leader. I think of a consistent player. I think of maybe a guy that got the raw, got a raw deal the last few years with injuries especially, but just someone who has brought so much to the game and has done it, I, I really think, in such a classy way. He's got such great character, obviously. And really, Tampa wouldn't be in the position that it was to win both of those Cups and to go back uh, a third time uh, to the Cup Final last year without Sam Coase and the way that he, uh, I think, really just has been such a pillar uh, in that that franchise and there's not many guys who can say that they do it the whole way in their career with one team Samkos might and that's uh, you know that's a testament to his loyalty it's a testament to the Lightning's loyalty to him and just how he's been able to uh, I think really continuously have an impact season after season and that's what we're going to be talking about with Steven Samkos I think for years to come.
1: So the Tampa Bay Lightning take on the Edmonton Oilers tonight in the midst of their Western Canadian swing, and then they'll head to Calgary on Saturday afternoon for a matinee at the Saddle Dome. Uh, The last time I think I checked on the ESPN power rankings, the Tampa Bay Lightning were in the top 10, eighth, I believe. What is it about the Lightning that have them top 10 in the league to you and some of the other experts that were polled?
2: Yeah, you know, I think that with Tampa, it's just that they have this ability to bring out the best in each other. That's the thing about what the the Lightning are capable of, is that they're a very cohesive team. They weren't at the beginning of the year. They struggled for identity. Uh, They really, it seemed like they were missing Ryan McDonough. They were missing Andre Pollard, They were missing some of those voices who have been such uh, important pieces of those championship teams. But the Lightning just find a way. And that's where you just never want to bet against them. And like I say, in the the, even the grand scheme of the conversation about uh, a potential Stanley Cup run, it's just that on any given night you feel like they have the potential to create results because they do. And they might not win every night, but there's just so much competitiveness to that group and there's so much depth. To their group and even when they're missing bodies Andre Vasilevsky's not playing great Victor Hedman is missing Mikhail Sergachev is stepping up you've got these guys up front in Nick Paul and Brandon Hagel and Sam Coast as we talk about Kucherov playing out of his mind uh, there's just always someone there uh, Braden Point that's going to step up and is going to make an impact so whereas other teams can be inconsistent in that way where they can ebb and flow and have highs and lows Tampa just their top 10 because they just always seem to end up there and whether the opponent is uh, you know whether they're on the road whether they're at home they had a a really grueling uh, road schedule to start off this uh, this year as well 2023 Uh, but they've just managed to uh, to find their way through a lot of these um, these challenges and potential uh, spots of adversity so I think that that's where a lot of the um, you know a lot of the votes come from for Tampa week after week in, in the rankings is just people believe in them. And I think that that just comes from how good they've been for so long, but also how good they've been uh, since kind of stumbling a bit out of the gate and, and really rebounding,
1: I think, quite nicely. So ESPN had, you know, some bold NHL predictions for the rest of 2022 2022- 23. There was some trades, playoff predictions, awards. You know, within that, I'm curious, Kristen. What do you think we're going to see at the trade deadline this year? I know Emily Kaplan had one of those bold predictions. She thought there was going to be few fireworks. So not many. It's going to be a boring trade deadline. I mean, where do you stand on that? Do you think this is going to be a bit of a dud because of cap space and parity in the league, et cetera, et cetera? Or are you expecting to see a couple of big things? at the early March trade deadline.
2: You know, I was just talking to a GM about this earlier today and he kind of said, you know, it's quiet and that can mean one of two things. It means either that everyone's kind of getting their ducks in a row and they're just sort of preparing to, you know, kind of make their move once they see who else is going to make their move, or it means it's really going to be quiet. But he's like, at this point, Uh, that's just, you know, you're, you're sort of waiting on who's going to make the first move. And he does think that if someone does, you know, come out and, and make even like a, what we might call a a mid-level trade, it will get the ball rolling because there are teams that need help. There are teams that are maybe one or two players away from really being able to make a a strong push into the playoffs. And there's teams that are on the bubble that want to get into The postseason picture, and that's where you talk about the parity in the league, and of course, that's always a a factor. But it really feels like there's just maybe a hesitancy, whether it's the cap, whether it's you know, you add one player, is it going to make enough of a difference? Whatever maybe that little bit of hesitation is, that things haven't really uh, sparked so much yet this season. uh, Really, his assessment was that once you know, once one domino falls, there could be a lot more coming after it. So I guess we'll see if that comes to fruition, but, you know, I think for, you know, from other conversations I've had, I wouldn't be surprised if it's quiet, just because if it, if there aren't a lot of uh, sparks, just, you know, it's not just cap space. It's also, you know, teams, I think feel pretty confident, you know, with, with who they have. And, and while there are obviously improvements that you can make, It's almost like when, you know, teams have learned to be miserly the last couple of years. They've they've learned to make the most of what they have because the cap has been flat. So it almost uh, seems like GMs are also interested in seeing what they have before the cap does potentially go up. And does that mean that we're in for maybe a crazier free agency period than what we're going to see at the deadline? Could be. But the best way to find out, uh, you know, kind of what you already have is to play the guys in your ranks already, uh, and give them a shot and see where that takes you. So maybe uh, we're we're seeing a little bit of that as well, uh, just teams that have invested in their depth and maybe they want to see just how far that depth can take them now.
1: Absolutely, I I feel like a big part of this deadline is going to be defined by the chicago blackhawks and if jonathan taves and patrick kane are going to be on the move i wonder how many teams are waiting for those specific dominoes maybe even more specifically patrick kane waiting for that to fall because you know a lot of teams probably have him as their plan a before they move on to plan b c etc when they're looking to inject some skill at the top of the lineup uh great stuff Kristen. thank you so much for coming on the show we'll have to do this again soon
2: absolutely thanks for having me ellie
1: All right, there goes Kristen Shilton. She's a senior writer at ESPN, and that was brought to you by Atlas Pizza on our Atlas Pizza guest hotline. That's all the time we have for today on the show. We'll be back tomorrow, Friday afternoon, for the final hour of the week of Hockey Central on Sports at 960 The Fan.